What can we learn from Sodom and Gomorrah? This is message number nine in a series from Genesis. Genesis chapter 19. Hold your finger, if you will, in the passage that we read from earlier in the service. The back of the bulletin each Sunday is designed for you to take notes so you can remember the message, and of course, every service is taped. And immediately after the service, the tapes are available if you'd like a copy for a friend or to just mull over yourself in the days ahead. The idea of the message comes to us, really, from the New Testament. In the next to the last book in the Bible, a little one-chapter book called Jude, there is a verse which says, The cities of the plain were set forth for an example. Jude 7. Sodom and Gomorrah were set forth as an example. And then the verse says, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now the Living Bible helps us, and this is the way it is translated in Jude 7. And don't forget the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, all full of lust of every kind, including lust of men for other men. Those cities were destroyed by fire and continue to be a warning to us that there is a hell in which sinners are punished. Now that's pretty straight, but it's true. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the Bible says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone fell upon those cities. In looking ahead into eternity, John saw hell as a lake of fire and brimstone, the place of eternal judgment having the same ingredients as what fell upon the cities of the plain in Genesis chapter 19. That's rather intriguing. What the New Testament seems to be saying to us using the example of the Old Testament is that when men fill up the measure of their iniquities, the judgments that will fall are typified by those inflicted upon Sodom and Gomorrah. When the cup of iniquity is full, what happened there will happen. It's rather interesting also to go back to Jude 7 and read what the sign sin was of this judgment. All full of lust of every kind, including lust of men for other men. The sign sin of God's judgment is the sin of inordinate affection. Where are we in the calendar of God? You answer that for yourself by what you know is happening in our time. When we seek to pass legislation that encourages the sin that brought the end to Sodom and Gomorrah, I suggest to you we're in trouble. 
And please do not misunderstand me. We love all men, but we do not love what all men do, nor does God. His love reaches out to every man, but the sign sin is right here before us today. And we need to wake up and open our eyes to what is happening. But I would be quick to add that a place of refuge was waiting for those in the cities of the plain, a mountain where no judgment could hurt or destroy. And we shall see as we go along how the angels of the Lord led Lot and his family to the mountain of refuge. Thank God for the mountain of refuge. And that's what I trust will be the bottom line of our gathering together today, that we will flee to the mountain of refuge where the judgment cannot touch us. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 puts it this way, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Hallelujah. So though there are iniquities abounding, we have a strong tower and we have a refuge and the whole purpose of our gathering today is that we might flee under the rock that is higher than we are. Even Jesus, the refuge. Glory to God. Come with me to that place of refuge. What can we learn from Sodom and Gomorrah? What I've just shared with you is the background three things I want us to learn. Number one, we learn not to be at ease in Sodom. We cannot be at ease in Sodom. Now the Bible is interesting in its composure of truth. Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, in the very first chapter of his book, verse 10, said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom and ye people of Gomorrah. Isn't it interesting that in the minds of the great prophets of old was the background of the cities of the plain. And when they wanted to get the attention of the people, they said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom and ye people of Gomorrah. In other words, all of you that are now affected by the same sins and the same iniquity, hear the word of the Lord. God was extending his mercy to them before judgment. Now what I see of Sodom and Gomorrah is this. From my understanding of Scripture that God has put them in the Bible, Old and New Testament, as a glass for us to peer in that we may behold ourselves that we may see what manner of men we are, that we may look and not go away to forget, but to go away to change. Ezekiel 16, 49 reports, here's another of those great prophets of old. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her. Now, Ezekiel helps us in the mirror, the glass that I mentioned. He lists three things that were a part of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And he, in essence, says, look into the mirror of those cities and beware. What are they? He first of all mentions pride. Beware of pride because Sodom and Gomorrah was full of pride. They didn't need God. Why, they had buildings and houses and businesses and technology. They had everything in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were sophisticated. They didn't need God. Surely nobody with education and with the advanced technology of Sodom and Gomorrah would need God. No way. Why, we are our own gods. We know exactly what's needed. We can put it together ourselves. Pride, Ezekiel said in chapter 16, was the first sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. What do we have today? We have a generation of proud people. Arrogance fills the land. Where is the humility that we read of in book after book in the Bible where men put ashes on their heads and dressed in sackcloth and, and laid prostrate in city streets because of the sins and the iniquities of the people? We wouldn't do that. Why, we won't even take time when the President of the United States announces that May 7th will be a day of prayer to come and pray. We're, we're too busy. We don't need that. Why, that's the last straw. Well, it's also the beginning of the end. Now, notice the second thing Ezekiel says, fullness of bread. In a word, luxury. Luxury. Fullness of bread. The factories were at peak level. The crops were producing. Everything was rolling smooth. They had everything they needed. And more. Luxury on every hand. White wall chariots. And not only one in some families, but two and three, Junior had one of his own, all hepped up and ready to go. And would race through the streets of Sodom with his hot chariot, showing what a big man he was. Luxury. Very few of us in this room right now have really any needs at all. I mean basic needs. We are pretty well taken care of. And if anybody seeks to disturb our luxury, watch out! Fullness of bread. The third thing he said, Ezekiel 16, 49, an abundance of idleness was in her. Love of ease. Why, I know people who actually mark down in their little book how many sick days they've got coming and how many vacation days they've got coming and how long it will be until they can buy the 26-foot motor home and the cabin in the mountain and until they can take their vacation to Hawaii. 
or wherever. And the house of God can go to pot and ruin as long as we have our ease and our comforts. Don't disturb my ease. I've got to have my time off. I've got to have my vacation time. Don't bother me about visiting the sick and the poor and teaching a Sunday school class. I want my ease. It's interesting that in the church today, it's sometimes difficult to get people to fill positions that they're very qualified to fill because they don't want their schedule disrupted. They don't want their pleasure disrupted. They want their ease. The Bible says, beware when we are at ease in Zion. We've got to beware of our ease in Sodom. Now, Jesus, the third prophet I will mention, I mentioned Isaiah and Ezekiel. Now let's go to Jesus. Luke 17 is where he spoke on this subject, 28 through 30 of Luke 17. Here's the way he started. As it was in the days of Lot. Well, that ought to get our attention right quick. As it was in the days of Lot, and here was the way it was. They did eat. How many of you are just so excited about that possibility in a little bit? You wish I would quit soon so you could get to it? Well, don't kid me. I see people leave early so they can get out of the parking lot to get to the eating place ahead of everybody else. Up until today. <laughs> they did eat. And they drank. And now, of course, it's not whether it's right to drink or not. It's how much. Right? Even with Christians in some instances. And I'm going to preach a sermon on that on Sunday night coming up. Is it right for Christians to drink? You watch for that. It's on the calendar already. They did eat. They drank. Now, this is Jesus talking. And, hey, he was an observant of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw it all. He ought to know. Oh, you've gotten by the first two? They bought. They sold. Well, is there anything wrong with that? No, no, not really, except when, like today, people who should be in church are out doing their real estate business, their car business. They can't close the shop down. They might miss a sale. Why, the biggest house business is done on Sunday. And even Christians have gotten swept up into that. I would feel so horrible if I bought a house on Sunday, I would be afraid it would burn down. That's my conviction. I just couldn't do it. That's the way I've been brought up. There are six days of the week to do stuff like that. This day, I've got to get down to business with my soul. That's the way I feel. Jesus observed Sodom and Gomorrah. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold. Why, that was the major thing. It captivated them. It just totally compelled them. Sound familiar? They planted. Nothing wrong with that. 
It's just when the fields become your God. And then he said they builded. Some good folks have told me that I wouldn't see them for a few weeks because they're building their own house in order to save money and they've got to use Sunday to build their house. So they're just going to take a little vacation from the house of God and their responsibilities to God while they finish the house. What can we learn from Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you listening to me today? We must learn not to be at ease in Sodom, not to be caught up with the Sodom idea that because everybody else is doing it, it's all right for us to do it. I said a few moments ago, looking back three years, that the second thing I mentioned when I came, we would stick to this book. And I cannot avoid... Genesis 19, I believe God's denunciations. And Jesus said, when all of this happened, when he saw them eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building, the same day Lot went out of Sodom and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now he says, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man shall be revealed. The same conditions put them all together and Jesus said, in that day all of it will be happening. What generation is he referring to? This generation, because it's all around us. This wouldn't have happened 30 years ago. This would not have happened when I was a boy. You could drive down the streets of our city on the Lord's Day on Sunday and not see anybody. In the afternoons, and if you saw anybody in the mornings or the evenings, it was normally out at the house of God. Oh, we've gotten sophisticated. So Jesus reminds us as a church, and I'm talking to the church this morning, be careful about the ease that we can settle into in Sodom and not even be affected by all of that out there but actually become a part of it to the detriment of our eternal soul and our testimony in the world. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 2, we are to handle the Word of God without deceit. So what I say to you may sound harsh and severe, but I cannot handle the Word of God deceitfully. I must tell you what I believe the Bible is saying to us as a church about Sodom and Gomorrah. As in Lot's day, the angel of God came and shouted, so I shout today, arise every one of you and escape for your lives. That is my position as the pastor of the church. In the Revelation it says the angel of the church, that meant the pastor of the church. I am God's angel to the church to say to you, escape, arise, and escape for your lives. If I didn't do that, I would be answerable to God for my negligence. 
There are people who hear my voice, who sit in these seats today, who are caught up with eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building at the expense of their soul. And the Spirit of God says, be not at ease in Sodom. Stir yourself up to seek after God. And it's because I love you that I can tell you that. I was impressed with an article I read of a situation that occurred in 1976 in Big Thompson Canyon in the state of Colorado. A bus driver by the name of Jim Schutz, who resides in New Albany, Indiana, was driving a bus of 35 children and nine adult supervisors through Big Thompson Canyon in Colorado. As Jim made his way down through the canyon, he became disturbed by what he saw out his window. He saw the river rising, and there was just an unusual feeling in the air. And Jim Shute said to himself, I don't like this at all. And without asking anybody's permission, he wheeled that bus around and headed out of the canyon. And 15 minutes out of the canyon, a torrent of water swept through Big Thompson Canyon, killing 100 people in that canyon. There would have been 145 if Jim Schutz hadn't obeyed what he saw and felt. 35 children, 9 supervisors, and a bus driver would have perished. This is not a time to be at ease in this world, my friends. Signs all around us speak of the coming judgment of God. Everywhere you look, signs say, Beware, arise, and escape for your lives. My prayer has not been that you would be comfortable in church today, I must admit, but that something within you will so stir that the ease and the comfort will be shaken and we will find a new place in God. The second thing we learn from Sodom and Gomorrah is not to linger. How many have grown gray with age while their convictions have led to nothing but abortive wishes and ineffectual resolutions? How many have been overtaken with the storm while they were thinking and intending to escape from it? There are indeed many who have come out of Sodom and are, in profession at least, advancing to the place of refuge, while yet in their hearts they are attached to the things that they have renounced. To such persons, we say with our Lord, remember Lot's wife. She looked back and was struck dead upon the spot. Why was this story put in the Bible? I believe for one reason to assure us that if our heart be in Sodom, we shall perish like Sodom. Whatever our profession or our progress or our position within the church, if our heart be not right with God, we shall take our portion in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that's not easy to say, but it's Bible. That is why Paul said to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. This thing is a struggle. This thing is a battle all the way. This thing is a fight unto the death. 
It's like the old-time boxers who box with bare fists, and the end of the fight was when one of them couldn't get up. That's what we're engaged in. Fight the good fight of faith. What? Lay hold on eternal life. Not to play around with those things we've supposedly renounced and turned our backs on, but turn from them and lay hold on something else. It's all over the Bible. Hebrews 4.14, hold fast your profession. Tenacity. Revelation 2.25, hold fast till I come. Jesus said, don't let this thing go. Hold on till I come. He that overcometh will I give the crown of life. Revelation 3.11, hold that which thou hast. Where did you ever get the idea that when you said, Jesus, forgive me, it was going to be easy? Listen, you're engaged in a battle all the way. Every day will be a boxing match with the devil and the kingdom of darkness. But greater is he that is in us, John said, than he that is in the world. We can win. Take a further look at the story here in Genesis. Overnight, in the excitement of the terrible scene enacted before his door, which was a lascivious thing, Lot had been not only resolved to flee, but his voice had urged his sons a lot to escape. He stood at their door and shouted, let's get out of here. He felt the imminence of it and shouted to his sons-in-law, let's flee. This was at night. But with the cold gray light of morning, his mood changed. This is what intrigues me about this story. The ties which held him in Sodom reassert their power. Perhaps daylight made his fears seem less real. There was no sign in the chill eastern twilight that this day was to be unlike the other days. Do we see it today? Oh, yes. People have said to me on hospital beds, Pastor, pray for me, and if God will touch me, I'll serve him all of my life. I'll turn on these things that have been a part of my life. I'll be faithful. I pray God answers. One month later, you can't find them. They're like the vanishing wind. But at night, Lot's out there shouting, let's get out in the morning. He lingers. Even the peeling note of the angel does not stop his lingering. Look at verse 16. The angel sounds a warning, but he still lingers. There's just one question we have to ask and answer about this, and that is what kept him? What held him back? Do you know what it was? Material advantages. Material things. He had struck root in Sodom. Why, he now sits in the gate of the city. Do you know what that means in the Old Testament? The important men of the city sat at the gate of the city. That's where they conversed. That's where they talked big deals over. That's where they struck pledge one with another. And Lot sat at the gate of the city. He was one of the prominent citizens of Sodom. He had some big deals going. I mean multi-million dollar deals. No wonder Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He knew what he was talking about. Why did Lot linger? There's only one reason. When he walked out of that city gate, he would be a pauper. He would have nothing but his faith in God. That's all. 
All those roots would be left behind. Those boats, those trailers, those houses, those lands, all of it would stay and perish in the fire of God. I believe the coming of Jesus could be at any moment. I wonder if you would linger because of the deal struck or the things amassed or the comforts of life. How insane his action must have looked to the heavenly host. Can you imagine what the angels think sometime when they are sent out by God to warn us and we just sort of meander around like... It must just about drive them out of their wings. Lot has a lot of brothers today, I'm afraid. Every man who lets the world hold him by the skirts when Christ is calling him to salvation, to follow him. Every man who is reluctant to obey any clear call to sacrifice and separation may see his own face in this glass that we're looking into today. And I pray when we look, we'll get a glimpse of its ugliness. Have you been open to the voice of the Spirit about the building program? but I've never given that much before. Well, God has a big blessing in store. Obey him. Listen to his voice. Now what happened? Got to hurry. Lot lingered, but the angel said, Lot, we've got to get out. And so as they observed his reluctance, this chapter says they laid hold upon his hand. Now visualize it. The angels of God literally take hold of the hand of Lot and upon the hand of his wife, Mrs. Lot, and upon the hand of his two daughters. The angels of God have those family members by the hand, four of them. No sons-in-law. They're not going to get out. They don't believe their daddy-in-law. All four have the hand of an angel. And then it says, the Lord being merciful unto him. In other words, if it hadn't been for the prayers of Abraham, God would have left them right there. The Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. He would never have made it without the angels of the Lord and the prayers of Abraham. Can you see those angels literally dragging those four people out of the city? How sad. Verse 29 is the key. We didn't read it this morning, but look at it. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. Hmm. Doesn't say he remembered Lot, it says he remembered Abraham, and because of Abraham, sent Lot out. You say your prayers don't count, you'd better read verse 29 a few times. Don't ever quit praying, don't ever give up. 
God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. He would never have made it without Abraham's prayers. Be assured of that. You keep praying, friend. Keep believing. Now, there's one last lesson. I said there were three. You've got the first two, right? Don't be at ease in Sodom. Don't linger in Sodom. What do you suppose the third one is? Don't look back. Regrets are ruinous. Regrets are cancers. And there are two types of regrets. The kind that looks back with longing to the sinful associations which the person will not willingly let go of. That's the first one. Oh, but it was so exciting. Oh, it was so wonderful. Oh, that relationship was so delightful. Oh, that sin was so pleasing. I think I'll just go back and touch it again, just once. Oh, I miss it so much. Oh, it's so delightful. I'll just go back one more time and just taste it once more. Oh, I regret having to have left that. Oh, I want to go back just once. I don't understand that very well. When we receive the grace of God and people are healed of drunkenness and the next day they're parking down in front of the tavern. I don't understand that. It's like the proverb, the dog returning to the vomit. Why? What is it? What good does it do? When we have eternity out here and the blessing of God out here, why do we look back and regret? Lot's wife was not only accustomed to Sodom, apparently she liked it and didn't want to leave it. Boy, I'm anxious to go myself. I don't know about you. I'm anxious to go because I have seen a vision of what's out there, and I'll tell you, the city of God is a lot more beautiful than Sacramento. Thank God for the enjoyment of where we live and the sunshine and the good homes that we have, but I, I could leave it in a minute. No regrets. Don't look back to those old temptations. Don't return to the vomit, the pig pen. The second kind of regret is the memory of old failures, being obsessed with, oh, why did I do it? Why did I move into the society of Sodom? Why did I get involved in that relationship? Why, why, and be obsessed with the memory of the past? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can set you free from that regret today, if you'll let him. You don't have to go back and live in the regret of the past. He that is in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. Everything is brand new. Don't you dare let the devil pull you back into the regrets of your memory. You are whole and new and beautiful before God. I say that on the authority of this book. David had to forget. 
Psalm 51. Paul had to forget. One time he said, I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. It was like a bad dream. But then he said in Philippians 3.13, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I know I did wrong, but I've forgotten it, and I'm moving on to the crown that God has for me. That's what I'm talking about. Be delivered in Jesus' name from the regrets and memories of your ugly past. Now, when Abraham arose early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, he saw Sodom and Gomorrah as the smoke of a furnace. This is my conclusion. <laughs> it's so New Testament, it's frightening. Abraham arose early in the morning where he stood before the Lord and saw Sodom and Gomorrah as the smoke of a furnace, so swift and so sudden it came. No warning, it just was there suddenly. That whole plain was like a furnace. Mm. The Bible says so is the coming of the Son of Man as the lightning which rushed in one fierce blinding flash from one side of heaven to the other, so is the coming of the Son of Man. As a thief in the night, so is the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 17, escape for thy life, look not behind thee. Whatever warning you're going to get, my friend, about the coming of the Lord, you're getting now. You're not going to get it in that instant. Abraham arose, and he saw the cities of the plain in smoke. And someday people are going to arise with a business-as-usual idea, only to discover it is not business-as-usual anymore. As the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be so instantaneous. That's what I hear God saying to me when I read, early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he stood before the Lord and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah as the smoke of a furnace. That quick. What can we learn from Sodom and Gomorrah? Have you got them now? Not to be at ease in Sodom not to linger in Sodom, not to look back on Sodom. Our vision must be that direction. Here have we no continuing city. We are moving to a city whose builder and maker is God. And there's a song that says, take somebody with you. Abraham made sure he took Lot with him. Is your life influencing anybody to get to eternity in the right way. You know that when we stand before God, there will be people who come before the throne and say, Father, I'm here because of that person. They prayed for me. They witnessed to me. Father, I'm here because of this young person who faithfully lived the Christ life in front of me. Lord, I'm here because of this person who dared to share with me the honest truth of the Bible. That's the challenge before Capital Christian Center in these days, to take somebody along, to be a church of righteousness, not tied to this earth, 
but totally sold out on the eternal purpose and plan of God Almighty. Are you in that position? I'm asking you today, are you in that position before God? My brother sent me a tape this past week, which was a Sunday morning service of Charles Swindoll down in Fullerton, California. Many of you listened to Dr. Swindoll on KFIA in the mornings, excellent teacher of the word. When I turned this tape on, I could recognize a pastor's heart. He was overcome with a burden for his people. There was a tear in his voice. He had struggled for 36 hours, he said, to preach the message he was preaching. And it was basically what I'm sharing with you today. His heart was broken by the lives of the people in his fellowship. He said, we have a lot of God talk. And people know how to talk about God when they're around that circle. But he said, there's lust in the heart, evil in the mind. And they put on the big show. And when he finished his message, he said to his church, either get your act together or get out. I thought that was pretty powerful for an evangelical free pastor. He said, you are hurting the church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God by your double standard, your dual life. If you can't get your act together, then get out. I've pondered that ever since I heard him say that. You know, I think he's right. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Is he Lord? We sang it earlier. Let's pray.